page 267. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were um, Epaphrites from uh, Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Oprah, uh, Orpah, sorry, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back, uh, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. We're on. Let me ask you two questions. 
What could shake your belief in God's goodness in your life? And how would you respond? Now, maybe you already do doubt God's goodness. Perhaps if you've lost your job, your home. Perhaps if you had a relationship that ended badly. Perhaps if you had lost your spouse. What about your children? Today we're starting the first chapter of the book of Ruth. Now, these are, this is going to speak directly into these questions. Now, the book of Ruth is recognized by many to be one of the most beautiful biographies ever written. Now, it focuses on some interesting but pretty ordinary women. Yeah, let me say it's women. It focuses on women. There's a couple of characters who aren't women, but the key ones that it focuses on are women. Now, there's tragedy, there's despair, there's cunning, and there's kindness. Now, as with every book in the Bible, it's going to show us quite how extraordinary God is. So, how can this petite little account, it's only four pages long, written 3,000 years ago, speak into our life and our darkest moments today? Well, to start with, there's some striking similarities between when this was written and our times now. We see at the beginning of chapter 1 that these events took place when the judges ruled. Now, the term ruled is a bit generous. Um, In fact, the strong leadership of Moses and Joshua that brought the Israelites out of Israel and had implanted, sorry, out of Egypt and into Israel had long gone. Now, at the time of Judges, came about between the death of Joshua, um, if you know a little bit of history there, and um, the time when Israel had their first king, King Saul. So right in the middle. Now, this is a time of serious political instability. There were countless flawed leaders. Knife crime was rife. Crimes often went unpunished. The majority of people didn't give two hoots about God. And the general summary of the time, which came at the very end of the book just before, you can actually see it on the page opposite, said, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. There are real similarities between the time in which the book of Ruth was written and Birmingham in 2019. 3,000 years, and there's a symmetry. So, if we can see that the challenges that were relevant at that time are relevant today, what about the people? How, how is that relevant? Well, the first key person we learn about who's not dead within the first five verses is Naomi. Um, Naomi is uh, she's an Israelite who has become an asylum seeker. She and her family had chosen to leave the friends and familiarity of her hometown, Bethlehem. Ooh, you know that name. The name Bethlehem ironically means house of bread. Um, She's had to leave because of a famine. Um, It would later become famous because of her descendants. Um, It was the place where the shepherd boy David um, would grow up to later become King David. And more importantly... This is the very same place where the shepherds would come to worship Jesus when he was born. Now, 
As we get stuck into the book later on, we'll see this link between Naomi, David, and Jesus is not accidental. Um, but no, Naomi has no idea about this, and we'll leave it there for now. So she's been born and raised in the heart of Israel, a country which contained real symbols of God's presence. Nevertheless, food had run very low. A famine had struck. I can only imagine how hard it must have been to raise a family. Their two boys, Marlon and Killian, constantly complaining about that hunger in their belly. The anxiety that their circumstances would not improve in time. Now it's worth noting that it would have been a really big deal to leave Bethlehem. As difficult as the time as it must have been, many good people would have seen it as doing a bit of a bunk, abandoning the hometown they had been given, not trusting that God, who brought them there, would sort it out. No, instead they chose to go it alone. Having been forced to leave their home and extended family, Naomi, Elimelech, and their two boys end up fleeing to the nearby country called Moab, modern-day Jordan. Um, although not super far away, Moab was hostile turf. There was long-term beef between the Israelites and the Moabites. Long story short, due to incest, paganism that involved child sacrifice, and other things, it's safe to say that the Moabites were seen as pretty filthy people. Um, they were outsiders, not to be associated with, unwelcome strangers. Now, Naomi going into that land must have faced many of the problems associated with being an immigrant in a hostile country. Much like many of our friends today at Stone Road uh, Asylum Seeker Centre up there, they were asylum seekers. They were there trying to find and trying to carve out a life. And they did, slowly. Um, Moab became the new normal for them. However, it starts to turn pretty sour. One by one, Naomi loses her nearest and her dearest. Firstly, her husband dies. Then there's a, perhaps a brief period of hope as her sons marry. You can imagine the unsubtlety uh, of the grandma or potential future grandma dropping massive hints about grandkids. But over a 10-year stretch, she loses her two sons. Not a single grandkid to pour her hope into. Now, Naomi is one of three widows alongside her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Even today, this is a pretty hellish trauma. Your worst nightmare coming true. However, with no men in Naomi's life, be they sons, sons-in-law, husband, she was in a terrible financial situation. She couldn't inherit a husband's pension scheme. There was no life insurance payout. There were no benefits to apply for. There was no bank of mum and dad to call on, and she couldn't crash on any of her extended family's sofa. She was too old to remarry. Financially, she was shot away. Emotionally, she was broken, and she knew it. Her daughters-in-law were childless widows in a culture where all your security came from family. The only logical hope for them was to remarry. 
To Naomi, it must have seemed like her life had gone up in smoke. She certainly thought so. It was at this very low point that in verse 6 we see that Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return, return home from there. Now, these three women, Naomi, uh, Orpah, and Ruth, clearly really close. They'd probably shopped together, they'd cried together, they'd mourned together. Their lives were tightly knit. Now, it made sense for Naomi to return home to her homeland, and she sort of scrabbled for any scraps of hope. However, this is a strange decision, logically speaking, for Orpah and Ruth. I mean, Their future security lay in getting remarried. Something only really possible in their home culture, realistically speaking. Now, this was something that Naomi was acutely aware of. And whilst the daughters-in-law have set off with Naomi, it was customary in this culture to walk a bit of the journey with your visitors who were leaving. So they got up, the daughters, and they were uh, walking with Naomi. Now, Verse 8 reads this. Um, Naomi, speaking to her daughters, is able to give them a bit of practical sense. So it says this. Verse 8. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Now, you can just feel the raw emotion of this. They clearly loved Naomi. I imagine they had seen in her the kindness that had flowed deep from her roots, roots which were back actually in Judah. They'd seen kindness that she'd shown to them, and they loved her. Now, Naomi lays out her logical reasons now why they should go. Verse 11 says this. Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who uh, could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought, thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they'd grown up? Would you remain unmarried to them? Remain unmarried? For them. No, my daughters, it is better for me. It is better for me than for you. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now, this bit about Naomi having further sons seems a bit odd to us, doesn't it? Um, however, it's referring to a custom um, in Israel at the time called leveret marriage, whereby if a woman died, uh, sorry, if a woman's husband died, um, and she was widowed without children. The brother of the widow's husband would marry the widow to look after her, make sure she had children. This would maintain the family line. Um, and Naomi is clearly saying that this is impossible given, um, given her age. Now, that detail aside, we return. We return to the question that I asked at the beginning. Now, What could shake your belief in God's goodness in your life? And how would you respond? The next three verses 
are absolutely key to understand how these three women view God differently. Okay? So what we have is three verses, we have three women, and we have three different responses to God. Is that clear? Okay. So let's read. Verse 14 to verse 16. As they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Now that's the end of the three verses, but it's so beautiful. I'm just going to keep going. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow. Now, the first response we see is from Orpah. Uh, she leaves. Uh, she makes what's on the surface of things the logical decision. She cuts her losses. She returns to the comfort of her hometown. She returns to the gods of Moab. She sees her future as being where she can remarry. She abandons Naomi and Ruth. She's sad. She likes them. She loves them. But she makes the logical decision. Now, how easy is it for people who've been exposed to the love and the kindness and the good news about God, to initially seem to follow, much like Orpah did along the road, only to give it up. Give it up when things get tough. They decide that there's more hope in pursuing a romantic relationship than pursuing God. They decide that there's more security in pursuing a career than pursuing God. And they decide that there is more life in pursuing comfort than pursuing God. We'll see later in the book of Ruth that she was mistaken. But we never hear from Orpah again, in the Bible story at least. She's blotted out from history by her own choice. That was the first response. Now the second response we see is Naomi. Now emotionally she is broken and she is bruised from her difficult life. Her, her own faith hangs by a thread She's taking herself, crawling, as it were, back to Israel. Her vision is so clouded by tears that although she still believes in God, she seriously doubts his goodness. Naomi therefore tells her daughter-in-law to leave her. You can see how she views God later in verse 20. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. So she's speaking to the people um, back in Bethlehem now, but this shows what she thinks. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi doubts God's kindness, but she does cling to his reality. She knows she's got to get herself back to Israel. By hook or by crook, she needs to get back to Israel. She's clinging by her fingernails to her faith. But she, step by step, 
takes herself back to the only place that she's ever really known there to be life. We see God's grace here. Naomi doubts God's goodness. She voices it. But God, God does not cut her off because of this. God has plans that are bigger than her perspective. There is hope coming later in this story. Now, this is a real-life application of Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 14. You've probably heard it before. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. Now, this quotation, which is actually written after the time of Ruth, talking about the people of Israel, um, is often taken in isolation. Okay, It's often taken way out of context. Um, now, this is absolutely dangerous. I don't really flow that sentence, but it is very, very dangerous. Um, now, the reason being is this. It makes people think that God only ever has plans for good in your life, right? That's, the, that, that's what it makes it think. As in, it's only ever going to be good. And if it's not, then God's not really got plans for you. Now, people forget the, to quote the verse before it, before this verse in Jeremiah 29, actually verse 10 it would be, uh, which actually speaks of 70 years of slavery. Okay, Or the following verses uh, speaking about people calling on God. So do you see that actually that it's not just that God has plans for you, but he has plans, if you, if you, if you look, if you think about it, that even though bad things are going to happen, you're going to call on God and he's going to show himself to be real. Now, what can we take from this? What can we take from this? When you know that your faith is hanging by a thread, some of you in here today may be feeling rather like that. When you feel like you've been uh, buffeted, bruised by the storms of life. You know what you do? You don't need to know it all, but you just take yourself back to God. I don't mean get on a plane and go to Israel. I mean pray to him. What we can take from Naomi is that even though she has doubts, she knows she needs to take herself back to God. If that's you this morning, you can do that just by praying or asking someone else to pray for you. Because God's presence is not found in one land anymore, but in everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Now the final response, the final response to God when faced with pain is from Ruth herself. To understand her beautiful response, we need to understand what Naomi has told her to do in verse 15. If you look in verse 15, it says, um, Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Ruth rejects these gods. She has seen a more beautiful god, a god that was communicated to her via Naomi. This causes Ruth to do something extraordinary. Ruth abandons the known and the familiar, Moab, for the unknown Israel. 
Ruth, in any kind of meaningful, logical sense, gives up the prospect of marriage. Ruth gives up the promise of comfort to cling to an aged woman. In essence, Ruth chooses death. But the bright light shining pierces the page, the bright light of her faith at the end of verse 16. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth chooses death. But her eyes are open. Now, Naomi has a different perspective to Ruth. Ruth sees that Naomi had something of the living God about her. Through the life of Naomi, she knows that spiritual life is worth more than physical death. Ruth, metaphorically, chooses death in both Orpah and Naomi's eyes. However, Ruth has that different perspective. She has seen the living God through the life of Naomi. She knows that spiritual life is worth more than physical death. Without spoiling the story, God honours this choice in a major way. Now we can learn from this. When we're faced with the choice between following God, which might mean losing security, romance, wealth, money, or even life, it's worth it. It's worth it because it leads to spiritual life, which is eternal. And it fulfills us in ways that nothing else can. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We can emulate Ruth by choosing spiritual life, even if it's at the cost of physical death. Now, the story is dark at the moment in terms of where we are in the narrative. But there is light on the horizon. Do you see at the end of verse 22? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I've got that image. It's in Gladiator, where the, where the sunlight is hitting the barley. Okay? They're just coming. The barley harvest is coming. This is a beautiful piece of writing, giving us just a little glimpse as to what's coming next. There is hope on the horizon. So let's wrap up with a prayer. Father God, when we are faced with the tragedies which come along in life, please help us to remember Orpah, who abandoned you in favour of the empty security that life without you offers. When our faith hangs by a thread, please remind us of Naomi, who, although confused by tears and emotional scar tissue, knew that she needed to get herself back to you. Help us to fall on our knees and come to you. When we are faced with the choice between the security that the world offers or the security of knowing you, 
and following you, even when it costs us our lives, please give us the courage and the clarity to make the same true choice that Ruth did. In Jesus' name, amen.